I will soar with you, your spirit leads me on. We want that in our lives, don't we? We want the spirit to lead us on, don't we? The spirit of Christ in our hearts to lead us on. Uh, Who wouldn't want that? Well, people don't. People don't want that. Some people don't, but we do. And we're going to talk about that as we begin this series on cultivating a spirit-filled life. When we cultivate something, we have to nurture it. Um, We watch it grow. We don't leave it as is, otherwise it becomes dormant. Not that the Holy Spirit does, but we can. We can become dry and dormant. Now, recently, a lot of our youngsters have been under a bit of pressure. Anyone know why? Exams. Bernard got it first. Exams. Uh, GCSEs, or if, you're, if you want to go old school, when I was taking them, the O-levels. O-levels, remember them? And uh, now it's GCSEs, and in their wisdom, it's gone from letter grades to numbered grades, so that as I get to my age, it even confuses me even more. And there's a bit of stress going on, isn't there? And I did my O-levels, and when I did my O-levels, I revised. I didn't revise a lot, because people were playing football outside, and there was distractions, but I did do some uh, revision. I learned. I learned about stuff. You might not think that now, but I did, and I learned stuff. And I can still remember uh, some stuff uh, that I learned as well. More importantly, some of that stuff I learned, things like maths. You kind of need that as a broker. You need to be able to add up um, as a broker. So I applied maths. I didn't just learn the theory. Um, I had to apply it in my life. I didn't leave it there. Bernard is very good. He's a grammar school lad. And uh, whenever we do all the notices and everything, it always looks all right to me. And then he comes back with the grammar and what we've done wrong and everything else. He's very good. He's very good. And we bless you for that, Bernard. A lot. (laughs) What do you think is the most important exam after the old O-levels or the GCSEs numbered one to nine these days? What do you think is the most important exam for our youngsters after the GCSEs? Who said that? We spot it now. Because everyone was going to say A-levels. It's driving test. Can we have the first slide up, Martin? I couldn't put it up because you would have got it straight away, but you did anyway. So, well done. Uh, Brilliant. Really important, the driving test. It meant freedom. I remember I had my Ford Fiesta 1.1 Popular Plus, AVX 902X, fond memories. Fond memories, probably on the scrap heap. No, it must be on the scrap heap now. I feel like I am, so the car must be. Um, But um, it meant freedom. But I took the driving test. Going back to the old school, it was all done in the same day, wasn't it? Really in-depth theory test. It was about four questions after you'd passed uh, the practical, wasn't it? I didn't do well in mine. He said, what would you do if, uh, if it was foggy? I said, I'd drive very carefully. <laughs> he said, what? And this is true. He said, what else would you do? I said, and now I'm racking my brain, seriously. I'm like, oh, what else? What did it say? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't hang on to the person in front's lights. Yes, very good. What else would you do? Oh, I'd, um, uh, I'd, yeah, I'd definitely leave a, a really good breaking distance. What else? And now, now I'm standing there. I go, oh, no, and I'm all flustered because I know I've done all right in the, in the practical. And in the end, he went, what, so you wouldn't put your lights on then? <laughs> I went, so I had, to, I had to bluff it. I said, of course you'd put your lights on. I wouldn't have, I didn't think that was the answer you're looking for. Of course you'd put your fog lights on. And because I've been a bit cheeky, he said, what if you haven't got fog lights? I said, oh, yeah, we would put the other ones on. Anyway, um, amazingly, I passed. Uh, so that was good, which actually explains quite a few things that have gone on since. Um, but uh, nowadays, you have to have the theory test, don't you? I don't know if you have to have that first, or it matters what order you do it. Is it first? Is it? So you have to have the theory test. And the theory teaches you the rules and regulations. Imagine if that's all you did. You knew all the stuff, but you didn't do anything with the information. Imagine driving along. And you're in the passenger seat, and you say to the driver, this is a 13. I say, how do you get on with that? I don't know, I don't drive. 
You'd say, you're a bit stupid, isn't it? Why take the test and not drive? My uncle, this is true, my dad's brother, Ray, hopefully he's not, he doesn't listen online to my sermons, I doubt very much he does. He took his test, he hasn't driven since. And he took it in his 40s. He said, I must learn to drive. He learned to drive. I thought he meant learn to drive so he could drive. But he didn't. He learned to drive and didn't drive. He gets the bus everywhere. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> of course, if you do drive, if you do drive, you have to carry on learning. You haven't got it all worked out, have you? And I remember those, I mean, remember the, I, mean I don't know if they do it with the youngsters now. Not with my experience, I'm on the road. But they used to teach us mirror, signal, manoeuvre. Remember that? Look in the mirror first. Right, because we're British, we're on the wrong side, so we're looking that way. Look at the mirror first, then signal, then manoeuvre. Loads of people actually leave the roundabout and then signal to tell you that's what they were going to do. It's like, oh, it's like, it's the reverse of prophecy. They look back. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. Mirror, signal, manoeuvre. You have to think about all these things when you pass your test. And then, of course, when you start driving, when I first started, right, oh, this is a lot of, right, handbrake on. Now, clutch down. He said, have you forgotten something? I said, no, I'm doing it. He said, switch the engine on. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> clutch down. Then foot on the accelerator. Handbrake off. Lift the clutch and, and, and start again because you stalled it. And you have to think about it. And then you get it into first gear, which is the hardest one. And then it's clutch down again. Second, you're getting all a bit flustered. And you're thinking about it. It doesn't feel natural. But later on, you do it and you don't even think about it. You don't realise that. You drive along, don't you? And you don't even think about it. It becomes uh, natural. It's in your subconscious and it's like you and the car are one. We don't want to be Christians who have the Spirit of God, which God promises us. We don't want to treat him like passing a driving test where we know so much about him, but we fail to drive the car. We fail to live with him. Him in us and us in him. And when we do do that, obviously when you drive a car, you can see you're driving the car. It moves forward. He directs us. He empowers us, he enlightens us, he leads us. He gives you the character of Christ because he's longing to change you. He gives you spiritual gifts which are given for the benefit of the church, the people of God. All sorts of gifts, ministry gifts, serving gifts, healing gifts, deliverance gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, all these things he gives for the edification of the church. He speaks to us, he speaks to you individually but you're probably sometimes not listening and he'll speak to us as a church and hopefully uh, we are. He can give prophecy, he can give words, he can give pictures and that's an amazing faith because no longer is it dull and wooden and I've only looked at the theory I'm now living the life that the theory was supposed to give me practically, personally God's desire is that this relationship would be a natural thing not forced or manufactured or needing some sort of manipulation Uh, I was told once about a church that was teaching on the uh, uh, presence and person of the Holy Spirit and uh, the preacher said, right, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come now. And sometimes we hear, you'll hear me say that. I mean, he's here already. He's here now. And uh, as he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, like, like the gushing wind, which we often say, they had all these fans lined up at the back. This is a true story. But I'll tell you who told me this. was Cole Beach told me this. Now, you can tell him, Dave, that I've quoted him. That's the only quote I'm going to say of Cole's today. You can tell him that as well. Um, and he said they put all the fans on at the back. I mean, that's manipulation. God doesn't need help. That's just fooling people. Spirit comes, he blows where he wants to. But he is here, and we don't want to manipulate him, but what we need is a heartfelt desire for more of him. As I opened up in my early walk, my heart to God the Holy Spirit, it was intentional. It was intentionally seeking him. I read about him in the book of Acts and elsewhere, and I thought, well, I want this power. I want this presence. 
Look what they achieved. Then I read this book called The Heavenly Man, and it's like rereading the book of Acts. If you want to read that, I've got that. That's really good. You'll be full of faith after it. I couldn't wait to pray for people just to see God move. Loads of times he didn't seem to, but quite a few times he did. Uh, I couldn't believe it. But I was intentionally seeking him, his leading, his presence. And over that time as I did that, he honoured it. I became so aware of him personally. And I was reminded of one of those situations just a week ago. We was in our elders' meeting and Big Nick, Nick Jenkins, uh, he said something about a jigsaw. And I thought, oh, that reminds me. And in this very room, very room, years and years ago, here, God gave me a picture. It was one of the first times he gave it to me. And I'd been trying to go my own way in life, like we all do. I'm trying to make sense of the world, which is impossible without God. I'd asked Jesus into my life, but I hadn't really truly given my life to him. I wanted the benefits, but I hadn't really surrendered. You know what you get in that early passion when you first start really following Jesus, and it's easy to let that go, but we need to cultivate that. But I'd asked Jesus into my life, but I hadn't truly given my life to him. I'd listened to the theory, I took the test, and I thought, well, I've got the answer, it's him, I'm going to ask him into my life, but I hadn't given him my life. And here in this very room, I was challenged to really commit. I remember these thoughts coming into my mind, to die to myself, to live for him. And only then would I try find true life freedom. And the challenge for me at that time was baptism. I hadn't been baptised. I was resisting and resisting and resisting. In fact, I'd asked Jesus into my life uh, back in 1995. I didn't get baptised until 2000. I was a millennial baby. And the picture that he gave me was of a jigsaw puzzle. I'll put that on the screen up there. And I thought it was interesting, that jigsaw puzzle. Oh, can we go back, please, Mike? I'm not ready yet. Um, that's my fault. I did sort of do a prompt, and it was the wrong one, sorry. Um, and you see that jigsaw puzzle up there, and I, I picked that picture because it's got a question mark. And that question mark was the original symbol for Alpha. I don't know if you know that. If you've known Alpha, Alpha was invented in 1993, and that was, their, that was their thing, the question mark. And I had loads of questions. And the thing that God was challenging me on was about baptism. And I had this picture sitting in this room, it came to me, and it was of a jigsaw puzzle. And it showed a boy, which I assumed was me, trying to fit, the jigsaw puzzle was done, much like that one, and trying to fit the last piece in, but it wouldn't go. Because he had it turned upside down, it was never going to fit, and that was me. And then the father comes, and the boy looks up at the father, and the father's looking down at the boy with such love, he takes the piece from the boy's hand, he turns the jigsaw piece, jigsaw piece around, and he puts it in, and the whole picture made sense. The missing piece for me was in place. I got baptised weeks after that, and I prayed and prayed that I would know God the Holy Spirit, and I can tell you he's been with me ever since, and he promises to be with you as well as you seek him. It's personal. He is personal, but it's also corporate. In my last church, we started very small, uh, small on numbers, small on enthusiasm, small on expectation. But we prayed and prayed that God would move among us, and he did. And it was all down to him, because things were happening sometimes without much effort. And we grew spiritually and numerically. We were the fastest growing Baptist church in the EBA. But all of that was because of what God had did. I didn't really know what I was doing. God was just moving among people. It was amazing. All of God. Because, but then what happened with me, and it's a temptation, you get complacent. You think, oh, I've got this all sussed out. This ministry stuff is easy. And then the reliance on the Holy Spirit, you draw it back and think, I say, I can carry on with this. But it's not. We need utter reliance on the Holy Spirit. And God soon let me know uh, that I couldn't rely on myself. I had to rely on him. 
So we've got this new series, Cultivating the Spirit-Filled Life, nurturing, growing, and doing, doing. We talk about these gifts of the Spirit, which we'll come on to early in the new year. We're going to start with some practical things like how he illuminates the Word of God, how he gives us assurance, and then we'll move on to character because um, as I was praying about this, I felt God the Holy Spirit say, and as we've been going through anyway as a church, our character has to be right. We, if we start exercising the gifts with the wrong heart, we can, we can cause a lot of trouble and it can be dangerous. So we're going to work on the character and we're going to look at that and in the new year, speak about the gifts of the Spirit and give plenty of opportunity to practice those uh, when, where we can. The morning services are fairly structured, they have to be. Everything's going on. The evening services are free and we've got to try and work out how we're going to do that. If we speak about a word of knowledge, we're going to ask God to give us a word of knowledge. If we speak about the gift of healing, we'll have a healing service and ask people to be healed. Uh, if we have a, 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 a damn prophecy, we'll ask God to give us prophets and words of prophecy. Because he promises he will. He will. So it's personal and he's corporate. And we need to have utter reliance on God. So cultivate and spirit-filled life. As we nurture, grow and do, it means we ask, we seek and we knock. God, the Holy Spirit, to be in all of your hearts. He's there already. But we want to be, the old term, on fire for God. You know, absolutely blazing for God. Because... The task is too great without him. God calls us his church and we need his power. Without his power, we're just a bunch of people gathering, singing some songs and saying some words. But with his power, it's everything and it can change the world. And it, ha- it is and it has in the past. His power can and will revive you. Whatever situation you're in, he'll empower you, he'll equip you. And you can know that wherever you go, you can change the atmosphere as you build his kingdom as we seek first his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to read from Matthew uh, chapter 3. I bet you're wondering when's he going to get into the Bible, but here it is. Um, And uh, I think we're on the second slide now, Martin, thank you. Uh, Matthew 3, the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And we've got this wonderful passage here. It's the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father says, this is my Son who I love. He says that to all of us, sons and daughters. He loves us. God is love. He loves you. There is one that will try and tell you he doesn't, because a few verses after that, the devil says to Jesus, if you're the Son of God. Anyone ever have doubt? You know, or am I really saved? Or does God really love me as well? And he knows all about my sin and everything else, but... That's of the devil. You are loved. You are loved and you can be assured, but Kevin will be speaking that in a few weeks. I don't want to spoil that. The son presents himself for baptism. He leads by example. We're thinking of having a baptismal service in November. So if you haven't been baptised, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus' ministry really started after his baptism and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we're a Baptist church. We believe in this because Jesus did it He taught us to do it. The apostles did it. They taught us to do it. The early church did it, and they taught us to do it. So we do it. It's biblical. So if you're thinking about that, come and and tell me. That's in November, probably. 
But his ministry after this begins in earnest in Matthew 4, verse 12. It shows us the significance of baptism. But the Holy Spirit is linked with that. And it's very important in the life of the follower of Jesus and in the church. Uh, So a little bit of background. Um, He's a person. Our language doesn't account for it. We say the Holy Spirit. It's like saying the Ian Smith is going to preach. Uh, We wouldn't say that. We'd just say Ian Smith. Or you might say some other words, but I'd say Ian Smith. But he has all the characteristics of a person. Uh, I've got some um, uh, references up there on the third slide, please, Martin. He thinks uh, in Acts 15, 28, where it seemed pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is something whenever we meet as elders or church, this is what we're trying to discern. This is what we're trying to discern on Wednesday. Is it pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to us. He speaks, Acts 1.16, Peter uh, talking about scripture, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. We're going to talk about hearing God through the word of God uh, next week. And so the Holy Spirit helping, writing the scriptures. He leads, Romans 8.14, those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. We should seek to be led by the Holy Spirit. Can be grieved, we can upset him. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There was a time once where uh, I was falsely accused of something and uh, it was somebody that was on medication, they took alcohol and it messed up their mind a bit and uh, made all sorts of accusations. And um, my fellow minister said, look, just so you know, this has been, you've been accused of this. And I said, oh, right, okay. So he said, did you do it? I said, no. He goes, that's all right then. And I said, well, it's not really. I said, that's an accusation against the Baptist minister. You need to go to the regional minister and let him know that that accusation has taken place. Now, thankfully, the person involved rang a few church members and said, I've made all of this up and I don't know how to get out of it. So actually, I didn't have to go through that whole process. But the reason I'm telling you all that um, is because I struggled to forgive that person because it could have brought down my ministry. It didn't, and God had his way, and, and everything came to light. So that was great. But for months and months after, they were in my congregation. They, I struggled and um, I actually chose not to forgive. There's my confession. But I know that then the Holy Spirit was convicting me every day. I had an unease, and it wasn't right, and I made an act of the will to forgive. I grieved the Holy Spirit. What they did to me was nothing of what I did to Christ on that cross. Um, I was the sinner that he bled and died for, and so I had to let that go. And when I did, um, I was set free. You know, I had freedom in that. So you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes described as uh, Romans 8, verse 9, the Spirit of Christ, or Acts 16, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, What's he like? Um, uh, Quite a few times in the Greek he's described, and I'll put it up there as a paraclete, uh, John 14, verse 6. It means sort of one who comes alongside. There's all sorts of definitions up there. A counsellor, a comforter, uh, an encourager. In my own life, I've been very aware of his guidance. In ministry, he's always, always shown me the way to go. I've always relied on him in preaching. Personally, um, I'd hate it if he wasn't with me. And even recently, where sometimes there's struggles, God the Holy Spirit says, you're my son. Whatever else is happening, you're my son. And you're accepted. And that means everything. And whatever's going on in your life, you're his son or you're his daughter. And there's that spirit of assurance Again, I've done things and achieved things, not in my own strength, purely because God has been with me. And I've seen that with loads of other people as well who said they can't do this, they can't do that, they can, because God the Holy Spirit is with them. He was involved right at the beginning in creation. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He gave life to people. Genesis 2 verse 7 breathed life into man. The the, the word there is ruach. Uh, He still breathes life into people now, still breathes life into sometimes churches that may have appeared dead or forgotten, 
and then uh, somebody comes and there's an openness to the Holy Spirit and, and it grows and it flourishes, he breathes life into churches. But if we don't acknowledge him and don't uh, go after him, if we don't seek him with all our hearts, then we too could become wooden and just go through the motions, which we never want to do. We never want to be that. He was only for, for particular people at particular times in the Old Testament. Uh, he wasn't poured out on all people, as was the promise. So only for certain people. Then there's this great promise of a new thing, as told by the prophets. You're on the next slide, please, Martin. Um, so Jeremiah in 31, 31 to 34, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I, the law would be internal rather than external. I've learned the rules. I know the rules. And um, I've done the theory test, um, but I'm struggling to live this out. But he says the Spirit of God will come and help me uh, in that as well, which is amazing. Um, How is it going to happen? There was this sense of anticipation. They didn't know. Uh, Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. And so they had this promise of a time to come. And then finally the prophet uh, or Peter, Peter, sorry, the prophet Peter quotes this sermon in Acts, that wonderful time where the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people and, and people were wondering what on earth was going on. He quotes Joel 2, 28 and 29. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So if you're a Christian, he has poured out his Spirit on you, but you may not be aware of that. And also uh, uh, all people, John 14, Jesus teaches about the giving of the Holy Spirit as a gift to those who believe and trust in him. But all this didn't happen for 300 years. But with the coming of Jesus, there's an increased activity uh, of the Holy Spirit, still only for a few people, uh, John the Baptist, Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon. Uh, but this fulfillment of prophecy for all people is coming. Jesus predicted it. He told them to wait for it. He said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but wait in the city until clothed with power from on high. And just before he left, he said, you will receive power when he comes on you. And then 10 days later, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have new languages and new boldness. Peter preaches unbelievably well. New power, there's gifts, there's ministries. And the fact is, we live in the age of the Spirit now. God has promised to give you his Spirit. To every Christian, verse 39, the Acts passage, this promise is for you and your children. Now you may think I'm a confident person, and I can project that, but actually I can be quite timid as well. When I first started preaching, uh, I remember talking to um, Bob Allen, you know, Bishop Bob, and, um, and I said to him, I'm really scared. He said, that's good. He said, you should never come up here and, and just take it lightly. And I've always had that sense of responsibility. I wouldn't say I'm scared now, but I feel very inadequate every time I stand up here. I feel, feel very, what right have I got to tell these people? Um, but when I pray, uh, Spurgeon, I read, uh, he had a pulpit. We haven't got a pulpit. He had one. And apparently he had quite a few steps up there. Uh, but he had to preach to 5,000 people, whereas I don't. So he went up in his pulpit. And apparently every step he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So by the time he got to the top, he absolutely, he's not trying to just say a mantra. He's reminding himself that it's absolute power just from the Holy Spirit, utter reliance on him. And I know that when I preach, I have utter reliance when I go through my life, I have to rely on him. I'm not sure of direction of the church all the time or my family or what's going to happen, but I know the Spirit of God will lead me. And we need that empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not just a one-off uh, event. Uh, it's an ongoing, being filled. Ephesians uh, 5, 18 uh, to 20 has a whole passage 
And Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the correct translation should be, go on being filled. It's an everyday occurrence, I pray, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He assures us of forgiveness. Uh, Beginnings of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're in a world that loves to condemn. Spirit of adoption, Abba Father, Romans 8, a child of God, that assurance again that you'll hear about in a few weeks. He gives us a deep experience, a secure hope. He helps us to pray, helps us to understand God's word. That's next week. He makes us more like Jesus. When you look at the uh, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gifts, as I've said, for the benefit of the church. I remember, again, my early walk, um, I was reading this stuff in Acts, and I was reading all the books, and I was learning. I was taking the theory test. And then when I was released into ministry, before I went to Spurgeon or anything, I shadowed a minister, and we prayed for people, and we saw things happen. We saw the demonic routed in the power and the name of Jesus. We saw people healed. Uh, We saw lives changed. We saw marriages changed. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, this stuff is real. And, but it's so easy to lose, if you like, that excitement. It's quite right what Gary said last week in the Luke 10 passage, when, they, when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning when they went out and cast out the demons. He said, but don't rejoice that the demons bow down in your name. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But nevertheless, Jesus does send us out for ministry. And I thought, this is, this is really true. I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and stuff happens. Amazing. And then he gave me confidence in evangelism. Again, you'll think I'm confident in that, but I'll pray for opportunities, and I still do. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to people and leads us with the words to speak. I have no guilt or pride in evangelism. If someone becomes a Christian, it's, it's God. If someone doesn't, it's God. And then I have no pride when they do and no shame when they don't. If I meet them on the street and I don't have the right words, well, I pray for the right words, so I don't have to take the blame. I've prayed for the opportunities. I've prayed the Spirit would go before me. So if nothing happens, it doesn't happen. If it does, all the glory goes to God. But he's with me all the time. It's the Holy Spirit who points us to Jesus. He enables us to glorify Jesus with passion and enthusiasm. He empowers us for the way we live and the way we witness. Our growth depends on him. And so we need to know the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we move forward with this series, I just want to... Um, just remind you, because I've preached this bit before, but from Colossians 1, um, we're getting on for time, I'm not going to read, uh, uh, sorry, preach the whole thing, but Colossians 1, 24 to 27, uh, Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. I mean, this is a puzzling uh, thing. We call this attention in the text. Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Does that mean Christ didn't do everything? But I think what it means is he's sending his church to carry on his work. He goes on to say, For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And this is it. And this is it for them and for us. He says, It's Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that amazing? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wherever you go, Christ is in you by the presence and power of his spirit. If only we really grasped that. That means every time you go to the high street, you take the presence of Christ with you. 
You pray for the encounters. If they happen, they're of God. If they don't, that's of God as well. In your families, Christ in you. In the church, Christ in us. That's why, I mean, some people have said to me, I get bored of you saying it, but I say Jesus is head of his church because I always want to remind all of us and acknowledge him. Because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Revelation 3.20 says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. If you ask God to come in by his spirit, he will. He comes in. He's all-powerful. Micah 3, verse 8. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. He's always present. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He's with you. Just cultivate that. All knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. The Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches us and takes us deeper into God's truth and in our Christian life. He is your helper. He is the counsellor. He is the paraclete. He helps you to conform to the image of Christ. He convicts us of our sin, not to condemn us, but to recognise just what he's done for us. I thought I was a good person uh, before I was a Christian. I don't think I'm a bad person. I don't think any of you are bad people. But God showed me my need. I'm a sinner and I needed saving. He gave me new life. John 3, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I got baptised, and I asked God to fill me with his spirit, and I was prayed for. Amazing. It can only be the work of the spirit. Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing or regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then there's an awareness as you walk with him, as you cultivate this spirit-filled lifestyle. There's an indwelling. We've already heard from Ezekiel, I'll put my spirit in you. I will come to live in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. Are you getting the message? You see what I'm saying? The spirit is in us and we need to cultivate that relationship. And then I was surprised, once I did all that, by the power of God. Why are we surprised? By the power of God. We've seen him move time and time again. Acts 1 verse 8, you, will receive, sorry, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. And he changes us, doesn't he, in our character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Whereas we receive him in our hearts, he changes us, he empowers us, he equips us. But we have to seek him. We have to keep asking. We can't come in our own strength. Luke 11, 9 to 13. So I say to you, words of Jesus, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God, the Holy Spirit, come into our hearts so it makes us a people, you a person, on fire for God. He calls us as a church to do that and to uh, really be released in his power, both in us and among us. His power can and will revive you, like I said at the beginning. He can equip you and you can change the atmosphere wherever you go. You will be the, the light in a dark place. 
You will be the salt where things are in decay because his power goes with you as you build his kingdom here on earth. And it is a battle, and there is one who comes against us. He does put obstacles in our way, but you have the spirit of God within you. So as we go on this journey together, cultivating the spirit-filled life, I want, I just really, this is an introductory talk, unbelievably, but, but I would just want you to have your hearts open and be willing to ask him, to seek him, to know him. Let's journey with him together. Let him change your character. Let's be a church where we exercise these gifts of the spirit and that then outsiders come in and echo, like they said in the New Testament, surely God is among them because they see him at work. Where there's words given, prophecies heard, healings witnessed, deliverance happens. We're setting the captives free because Jesus said we could do that. Not because we read the manual and it was for them in Acts or the heavenly man and we've passed the theory test, we know about him. Let it be as natural to us as it should be. Now my son, he's a bit taller than me, 5 foot 11, a lot taller than me. Uh, He likes the gym. You know, I mean, a lot of us got kids. They love the gym, don't they? All these protein shakes. And I know Gary's eldest son, my son used to see him down there. And, you know, they have their protein shakes and they work out and they're doing all their work. And they look pretty good. You know, I think it's worse things they could be doing. And so I'm quite happy. Sometimes Harry goes down the gym twice. Can't believe that, can you? I'm, I, I go twice, about twice a year. I was, on the cover, I was on the cover of Men's Health magazine once. You know, that was the before picture. So if you don't want to look like him, get down the gym. Anyway, Gary goes down there and he has it. That's Gary. Gary definitely doesn't. Um, (laughs) I really don't think that was led by the Spirit there. I do apologise. I think I've grieved him. I do apologise. Gary does a lot of other things, but he doesn't go to the gym. I'm just digging a bigger and bigger hole. Just leave it. Leave it. They're over the park. No one say anything. It's not edifying. Okay. So my son, who's called Harry, not Gary... Any honest mistake, he goes down to the gym and he's exercising, and I can see the difference in him. So we've got to let the supernatural person of God be the most natural presence to us. And it's as we exercise, both in the fruit and gifts of the Spirit, that we will change. Harry goes down there, he's training. It's intentional. He wants to see something at the end of it, you know, bigger biceps or whatever it is. And so as we cultivate the spirit in our lives we want to grow both in character and power and we will and next week we're going to talk about the holy spirit and the word of god and how that becomes alive to us uh, when the holy spirit makes it alive to us but in the meantime have an attitude of asking seeking knocking for for you personally i do believe we're at a turning point as we move forward as a church as well and let's start seeing god we do see him anyway Uh, things are not bad they're good But let's be a church known for honouring God, uh, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And let's be encouraged as we see him breathe even more life into us as a church. I'm going to pray for us and Bernard will come up and lead us in our final song, I think. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's for all of us now. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, we'll embrace that and as a congregation we'll be asking, seeking, knocking and we'd come with hearts full of expectancy to see what you're doing. I pray, Holy Spirit, you fall upon us, paracleti, and just be the the wonderful counsellor, the one who comes alongside, the encourager, as we go about these things. Teach us and lead us into new things which you promise you will. In Jesus' name, amen.